probably the number one phrase that is given to every team. Young men, young women, as we get ready to hit that field, the number one thing that I want you to do is I want you to bring your A game. Listen to what I'm saying today. He says, I want you to bring your A game. He doesn't say, I want you to bring your B game. He doesn't say, I want you to play a little hard. He doesn't say, I want you to give a little. He doesn't say, I, I, I want you to give just, a, a, just a, a tad bit. But what he says is, I want you to bring your A game, which means I want you to come out and I want you to fight. If we're on the football field, when that person is standing in front of you and that ball, that, the, the center snaps that ball to the quarterback, I want you to hit that person with everything that you've got. I want you to bring your A game. If you're defending the quarterback, I want you to defend it like he's, like he's Jesus Christ himself. If you're, if you're trying to defend whatever you're doing, whatever sport you're playing, bring your A game. I want to tell you, in today's society, we lived in a messed up world. We live, in a, we live in a messed up society. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that we're in the last days. We are in the last of the last days. Whether there's going to be a falling away and the spirit is going to be rising on one side. We are in those last days. But unfortunately, the church today is bringing their B game. Unfortunately, the church is sitting back and they're not worried about the A game. They're not worried about winning the race. They're not worried about winning the game. They're not worried about, uh, about, about reaching the touchdown. They're not, they're not worried about hitting that home run. They're not worried about you know, uh, making that last basket in the basketball game. They're not worried about all that stuff right now. The only thing the church is worried about is, is living properly or not offending someone. How many football teams do you know are out there not to offend the other football team? When those football players, and I know I'm using football because it's a pretty violent game, but this is a violent thing we're living in. But when the football team hits the field, they have the proper equipment on. They've got shoulder pads, a helmet. They've got leg pads and pads on their arm. I mean, they've got everything they need so that when they hit someone as hard as they can, they're protected. Armor of God, we can use that. But we need to bring our A game. The church needs a pep talk. This, today's church, we need to have a pep rally. And we need, to have, we need to understand exactly what we need to do in this pep rally. And I'm going to go over some things. And we're going to use sports analogy today. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about three different people in the Bible. We're going to go through three different scriptures. And we're going we're gonna to search it out. But these are the things that are spoken about as the coach is giving the pep rally to his team. What's the, uh, I know I'm asking a question, you don't have to answer me, but there's, there's one thing that's the best part of a game. Oftentimes people will say it's the offense. Oftentimes people will say that it's the defense. Well, I'm here to tell you that our best way to win a game is to make sure that the other team doesn't score. It's our defense. So we're going to start off today talking about defense. And we start talking about defense, there's a certain man that I want to go to in the Bible, a certain, a certain scripture a book of the Bible where we learn about someone who had some uh, some defense. Now, I am going to parallel this with a spiritual. So you say, well, what in the world is so spiritual about defense? How many of, how many of you have ever been, and you could raise your hand, have ever been uh, uh, offended by the enemy, which means the enemy is on the offense? Now, that's every day of our lives. So how do we go on the defense? 
Brother Randy, how do we go on the defense when the enemy is fighting us? When the enemy is on your back? When the enemy is trying to tell you that you're no good, that you're worthless? When the enemy is telling you that you're not called because, because you're not smart enough to be called? Brother Derek, when the enemy says that you don't know your word, you know, and, and you're not smart enough to know your word, you're not smart enough to get it into your heart, when the, when the enemy says that, that your finances are going to fail, when the enemy says that everything in your life is going to fail, we have to have a defense against the enemy. And what is that defense? In the church today, that defense is... It's called worship. When the, when the enemy comes upon us and begins to begins to move upon us, we begin to get into our worship shoes. I put on my worship shoes and I get into my, my prayer closet and I turn on the best worship music that I can find and I begin to speak out and speak that worship. And I want to talk about a man who loved worship. Now we know back in the Old Testament in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see a story here. The Ark of the Covenant had been lost. The Ark of the Covenant was lost. It was not there. And what happened when the Ark of the Covenant was lost? What happened was is the people began to go astray. The people, so what I'm saying is, is when, when you lose your worship, your heart and your mind begin to go astray. So when the Ark of the Covenant was gone, the people were, go, they were, they were scattered abroad. They were here and there and everywhere. And it wasn't going the way that God wanted it to go. So all of a sudden, David decided to take several men with him and, you know, half of an army with him to go and, and to get this Ark of the Covenant. And as David's bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, they stop, and we all know that they stop at Obed-Edom, and they, they talk about blessing Obed-Edom, but I'm, I'm going to go beyond that. We're going to get to the part where, and I'm not going to read it, I'm just kind of going, just kind of skimming over it. We get to the part where David brings the Ark into Jerusalem. Back where it belonged. Now, David was in an uproar in himself. He was fighting in his own life because he was the king. He was fighting within himself. He was toiling within himself about what was going on. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant was lost under his regime. So he is all in, in all kind of sorts. Isn't it like us to get like that? You know, when, when Satan is coming against us and he is fighting us and he is trying to get us all out of sorts and all out of whack, isn't it like us just to start wondering what in the world is going on? Why am I acting like I'm acting? Why are, why are things bothering me that shouldn't be bothering me? Why are things going on in my life? Why, why in the world is when it rains, it pours happening to me? The cars broke down. There's no money for groceries. The cupboards are empty. My husband isn't home hardly any of the time. My wife isn't home hardly any time. Matter of fact, I don't even know if I like them anymore. You know, I mean, this is this is the things that goes. I'm I'm being serious as all get out. I've been there, church. We've been married for 17, going on 18 years. You don't think there's ever been a point in our lives where we really didn't like each other? There has been. Why? Because there was a a, a plea of the enemy to try to break through our marriage. And I'm here to tell you today that the enemy is trying to fight you but it's time that we we bring out the old-fashioned pep talk and I, and I, I want to remind you that we serve a God that cares. We serve a God that, that has the Holy Ghost. And when he sends the Holy Ghost upon you, and he begins to allow the worship to rise up in you, and we begin to say, you know, it's not all about the hype. It's not all about the jump, the run, the, you know, and going there. But when you get into your prayer closet, and the enemy is fighting you, and you begin to say, oh, God, you're good. Oh, God, you're wonderful. Oh, God, you're magnificent. Oh, God, you are a miraculous worker in my life. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that no matter what is coming, 
coming against me, it cannot prosper because the Bible says that, that, that uh, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I've come to tell you today, no one can defeat us. We are winners and we are victorious through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, and I just want to praise him today. It's about worship. That's our defense. So what did David do? As he was bringing in the Ark of the Covenant, the Bible says that he stripped to his tunic and began to worship the Lord. And then if you read on, Micah, the daughter of Saul, was upset. She was not happy. She decided that she was going to, Micah was also David's wife, by the way, she decided that she was going to despise David. And when she began to talk to David, she said, you look like a fool. But here's what David said. I need defense. You see, sometimes defense looks a little foolish. You see, sometimes I don't, anybody ever play basketball? The defensive position in basketball is the most ridiculous-looking position I've ever seen in my life. You crouch down, you got your arms up like this, and you just look like you're, you know, a winged bat ready to go. It looks ridiculous. But in basketball, it works because you're getting low to the ball. You're getting positioned where your eyeballs can see the, where the ball is and how it's dribbling. If you're standing up here all the time, you're never going to see the ball. We have got to get in the right defensive position. And getting in the right defensive position means worship. It means getting into the right worship attitude. And getting into the right, excuse me, worship attitude means that we've got to get in dear and in close to God. We've got to turn on the right kind of music, not the wrong kind of music. I love what Pastor David Tennyson said this, uh, this week at, at camp. He said, some of you teenagers are going to have to go home. and You're going to have to get on your iPod. You're going to have to delete some music off of your iPod. Well, I'm going to tell some of us adults in that, uh, some of that here today. There's some things that are going on in our lives that we're not allowing the defensive posture to happen because we're grabbing a hold of things that are, uh, that are on the offense towards us. You see, the devil will use each and everything that he can for his offense. If that means he's going to use secular music, he'll use secular music. If that means he'll use secular things, he'll use secular things. We've got to go on the defense. Secondly, now that we've got our defense all postured, we're out on the football field and our defense is working greatly. That other team can't even make it five yards in four downs. They've got to punt it every time. So our defense is working, which means that we're on our worship closet. We're praying right. We're, get, we're, we're getting in tune with God. Now it's time for us to go on the offense. How do we go on the offense? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to go all the way to the book of Acts chapter 2. We all know a disciple by the name of Peter. Hmm. Acts chapter 2, after Jesus had ascended and the Holy Ghost came on the 120 in the upper room, there is something very different that happened to Peter. You see, before Christ died, Peter denied Christ three times, which means someone asked him, aren't you with him? Don't you know him? And he said, no, I don't know him. He sinned and denied Christ. But after he received power from on high, he began to go on the offense. I'm talking about offense. What is the offense? The offense is the word. The offense is being a witness for Christ. The offense is getting ready to go out like we're getting ready to go. Our evangelism pastors are about to launch us into some evangelism 
evangelism stuff, and we're ready. We are poised. We are about ready to hit this city like it's never seen before. We are about to evangelize by witnessing. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, You will be witnesses unto me in, in, in Judea, Samaria, and into all the ends of the earth. I'm telling you, today our offense is the word. And Peter after he received the power of God from on high, he stood up in front of 3,000 men, children and women of different tongues, of different to word that just, he just preached Jesus crucified, raised up, and, and being with the Father, right, sitting right next to him. And what he did was he, and what he, he pierced the ears of those that were sitting around him. You see, you all that are sitting under the sound of my voice, once your defense is poised and you're getting ready to go on the offense, when you hit the streets out here, God has given you a mouth to speak with. He has given you the opportunity and the tools to use that when you hit those streets and you begin to talk to those people, he has given you something to say. What is that? It's a very simple message. It's that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus was resurrected for the power of, of the Lord. Hallelujah. We've got to go on the offense. You see, once our defense is good, it takes the offense to win. Because how many know that if, if nobody scores in a game, what happens? It's a tie. And I don't know about you, but I myself am never going to tie with the devil. I don't want to tie with him. Because, you know, if we go back to the book of Revelation and we read all the, all the way to the very end, we see a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is going to split the eastern sky. He's going to come back. And those of us that are saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, we're going to go on to be with him in glory. The ones that are already gone before are going to be uh, raised up from the dead. And they're going to go on and we're going to go on. On and it's going to be awesome. But I've come by to tell you, I don't want to tie with the enemy. It's not it's not a good thing to tie with the enemy because there's no riding offense when it comes to this world, this life called Christianity. You can't live live one way one day and one way the next day. You can't sit on the fence post because eventually you're going to get knocked off and you're going to hurt yourself. You see today, I don't want to tie. I want to be the winner. I want to be the victor. And in order for us to be the winners and the victors, we're going to have to open up our mouth and we're going to have to win lost ones. Something I was thinking about and I heard in my mind this morning. It's that oftentimes, and, I, and, and this, is, this is something a little bit different, but in order for us to win, in order for us to go on the offensive, we're going to have to have the power of the Holy Ghost. We're going to have to. It's going to take the power of the Holy Ghost. You see, before the power of the Holy Ghost, the disciples tried to minister when he sent 72 out in, in the book of Luke chapter 10. He tried to send them out to evangelize, but what happened? All they could do is just say what they knew about the teachings of Jesus. But Jesus had not died yet. He had not, he had not resurrected yet. And the power of the Holy Ghost had not come. But once the power of the Holy Ghost came, then the disciples were able to speak. You see, that day after Peter spoke and 3,000 uh, uh, men, women, and children were added to the church, all the disciples that day scattered. And they all began to speak the word of the Lord by offense. But I want to tell you something today. If, you're try, if you are seeking for the Holy Ghost and you're wanting the power of the Holy Ghost, don't just seek it for yourself. Hmm. Too often times we get to the point where Christians are saying, I'm not getting the Holy Ghost. I'm not getting the Holy Ghost. I'm not speaking in tongues. Nothing is coming to me. Sometimes there's a reason. And that reason is because you want the Holy Ghost all for yourself. I'm here to tell you that the Holy Ghost is not about all for yourself. The Holy Ghost comes into you so that you can be a witness and that you can go out and get on the offense. Once the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you, and you have the evidence of speaking in tongues, 
That's the evidence of the Holy Ghost. There's much more to the Holy Ghost than just the speaking of tongue. There's a lot more that goes on. And once we go out these four walls and we hit that city, there's an offense that we have to have. And that offense is winning a lost and dying world. In order for us to win them, we have got to have the Holy Ghost with fire. So we have defense. We have offense. Now, I want you to understand something. If anybody, if y'all have ever been to a good game, how many have ever been to a good game? What happens in a good game? Usually there's a teeter-totter of scores for a while, right? Both teams are pretty equally matched until something significant happens. Each team starts, starts getting weaker and weaker by the moment. They have their weaknesses. Some teams, each team has their strength. Each team has their weakness. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul. I love what he says here. Because in every game, there comes a point when everybody is weak Everybody is, is, is at a point where, where they're tired, they're dehydrated, their muscles are sore. Everything is going uh, against them, and they, they come to a point where they think that they're not going to win. They think that they're not, that, that they're not going to, to get the, the game won, but let me tell you something. There's something about our infirmities. And I love what Paul says in verses 9 and 10. Paul says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, in life, we are, we've got our defense poised. We've got our worship going on. We're going on the offense. But, Brother Eddie, we get tired. We get to the point where we're weak. Where we don't know where, where our next meal is going to come from. We don't know where our next testimony is going to come from. We don't, don't, we don't know where our next uh, 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 tank of gas is going to come from. So we can go out and we can minister. But we're, we're weak. We're tattered. We're torn. But I want to tell you something. The, Jesus himself said that I am strong when you are weak. Paul goes on and he says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That I like what verse 10 says. It says, therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. You see, when you go through trials, it's not all about just being a woe is me because you give strength to that weakness but i'm come by to tell you today that when you're down in your lowest point you don't need to give strength to that weakness what you need what you need to give is you need to give that weakness over to god and let god give the strength to that weakness let god give you the power to overcome that weakness and he goes on and he, and he says uh, in reproaches in needs in persecutions in distresses for christ's sake he says, for when I am weak, then am I strong. 
We've got to make sure that when our offense is poised or our defense is poised, we're out there on the offense and we're pouring out our cup. Just like I was talking about me, you know, a lot of a lot of counselors when they go to camp, Brother Randy, they, they go and they expect their cups to be completely emptied out by the end of the week. And, that, and then when we come back to our churches, we turn them back up so that they can be filled back up so that we can go on out. Well, I want to tell you something. Not only do counselors get blessed at camp, but but or do kids get blessed but counselors get blessed why because we get to pour out upon them but oftentimes and i saw something probably so so awesome this week i even saw kids surround our state youth director without prompting no one told them to go pray for him but as he poured out his spirit upon them as he poured out the word upon them as he prayed for them and as, as he as he rest out his hand upon them all of a sudden there came a point when he was a little bit weak and he was down like this and, and he had been preaching and he was tired and all of a sudden it didn't matter what was going on those kids didn't want to stay in their seats but they ran to him and as they ran to him they laid their hands upon him and all of a sudden a strength come rising up in him and he was able to go forth and to keep on preaching he was able to keep on ministering keeping on speaking to them young people I want to tell you today when you're out there on the highways and the byways and you're speaking the offense of God you're going to get weak but I want to tell you as you get weak there's going to come someone that is going to come in like a flood and he's going to come pouring into you and give you strength again all you got to do is get back onto your knees and defense and worship and it's a continuous cycle We've got to get back to the pep talks of Christ. I've heard too often churches just, we don't want to offend anybody. We just want everybody to be happy. We don't want to, we, we don't want to upset the fruit basket. But I want to tell you, the fruit basket is already upset. People are already offended. Why? Because the word of God offends them, period. It's not the matter of what we, how we, that we offend them. The word of God offends them because they're not in the right place. And we have to use our offense, our word, to go and to win them for Christ. It's not, you know, God can work through those offenses. If the word offends somebody, God can get on the other side of that. He can revive that. But there are too many churches today that are forgetting about the pep talk. They're forgetting about telling people how to live. They're just out there saying, okay, just do whatever you want. Grace covers all. I love grace. But when you're saved, you're saved. And if you choose to sin, you walk away from that salvation. As simple as that. I can't preach it no other way. I'm not going to preach my stuff I'm not going to preach my convictions because they're my convictions but one thing I know that the word says when you walk away from God you walk away from his touch we need spiritual pep talks we need our preachers to stand in the pulpit and tell people you need defense you need defense against the enemy today brother Roger when the enemy comes in like a flood and he, and he tells you that you're nothing that's a lie from the pits of the enemy because you are a child of God. You are an heir of the throne of God. You are somebody. You are something. You are something that God has given into you. We've got to have defense. We've got to have offense. Christian, come to the piano. But most importantly, when we're weak, we've got to have the power of the Holy Ghost to strengthen us 
and to move through us. Spiritual pep talks. We got to have team members, a team, and we got to have a coach. We got to have pastors that are willing to stand in the pulpit and to preach the Word of God like the Word of God is. Not to preach what we think. Our opinions don't matter. We need to start preaching factual things in the Word. There are a lot of opinions out there. There are people that are of the, of the opinion that going to the theater is a, is a sin. I'm not of that opinion. But that's called personal convictions. And we've, we, the church for far too long has gotten it wrong. Now I'm saying this because I grew up at the church. I can remember the days of old when preachers would preach their convictions on the church. They would begin to preach, and they would, they would start looking around the church. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do this, and you're not supposed to do this. If it's biblical, I, that's okay. But when you begin to preach your personal opinion and your personal convictions, then you're carrying it just a little bit too far. Instead, here's what we need to be doing. Here's what the Bible says you should do. Here's how the Bible says you should act. Here's how the Bible says you should treat your brothers and sisters. And we should also be preaching this way. As a sinner, when you come down to this altar and you give your life to Jesus for real, not just, not just wiping the guilt away. There's a lot of that that goes on. Not just going down because of a pity party. But when you truly kneel at an altar of grace and truly let your heart be washed, those things that are sin, you won't want to do anymore. No pastor is going to have to tell you what you shouldn't do. Because when you get down to the altar and you, that Spirit of God comes into you, the Spirit of God is going to let you know. It's called conviction. But Brother Randy, far too long, we as a church have gotten it all messed up. I'm going to go as far as to say it this way. Go out into the world and ask 10 people why they don't go to church. Here's the answer you're going to get from 9 out of 10. Because I haven't got my life ready yet. Now, why in the world are they answering that way? Because for generations, they've heard the church tell them that. Hmm. Hmm. Church, today we need an A game. We need to be on point. Church, 
I, I'm telling you today, we need to bring our A game. We don't need to bring our B game. It's not about what we could do or what we should do or what we just might do. It's about what we are supposed to do in the kingdom of God. You see, I, Brother Randy, I was called into the ministry at 17 years old. I took a run just about as far away from it as I could. I mean, I went the total opposite direction. But once I finally gave my A game, man, the Lord started opening doors and doing things in my life that I couldn't even imagine. I'll be honest with you. I never thought in a million years that I would ever pastor a church. Ever. Like, me? This guy? No. No, no way. I'm not even smart enough to put together a message. These are things that, I, that, that the enemy was hitting me with. But I'll never forget two years ago. It's been exactly two years ago yesterday when I lost my job as a police officer for reasons out of my control. God had a plan. You see, if I would have still been at the Cuba Police Department today, I would not be here. If I would have continued doing what was in my heart, in my mind, of my career, I wouldn't be where I'm at. But as soon as that happened, I thought the enemy was coming against me like a flood. I was at that point, Sister Jess, where I needed a pep talk. I was at camp. It was, a, it was a youth camp two years ago, 2015. That Wednesday afternoon when I got a phone call saying you no longer have a job. I was torn in two. I had been in law enforcement for so long that it, it, it was just part of me. I was going to go home. I was like, I, I'm not going to stay at youth camp. These kids don't need me. Then the Spirit of God checked me. And I began to worship. Oh, man, I went on the defense. I began to worship. That Wednesday at Bible study, Pastor Matt Smith, Brother Randy, he preached probably one of the best messages I ever heard on the Holy Ghost. I poured out myself onto those kids. Even though I was hurting on the inside, I prayed for them. Probably wasn't very effective. Because there was something that I needed myself. But I went on the defense. I said, devil, you can have that job. And when we went, we went into worship that morning, from the very beginning of that worship service, I lifted my hands to heaven, and I said, God, you can have all of me. And I begin to worship. And I'll never forget it to the day I die. That morning, nobody went to lunch. Lunchtime rolled around, and there was about, I'd say, 40 kids just slayed out in the spirit all over the place that had just been baptized with the Holy Ghost. I was bawling because I, I can't, I can't, sit still when when kids start getting blessed i can't 
When, when people start getting blessed and people start getting, you know, the Holy Ghost rising up and them tears begin to fall down my, well, I'm a sensitive guy. I can't help it. I'm just like that. Tears flowing down my face. Pastor Matt came over to me. Now, we know each other. We've grown up together. He's my cousin. But he looked at me dead in my face. Matter of fact, he even grabbed my head and turned me towards him. And with tears streaming down his face. He said, you're about to hit a new season. He said, your life is never going to be the same. And as God is my witness, and you can ask these two couples right back here who went to Cuba with me. From that moment on, my life radically changed. Was I backslidden? No. I was, I was a strong Christian. But I wasn't walking in the will of God. I went on the defense. Then I said, okay, Lord. I see what you're doing. I understand what you're doing. So as my defense raised, then I went on the offense. I said, how did you do that? I started teaching Sunday school, our adult class, getting experience in the Word, experience in study. I became the clerk of the church and started learning the administrative side of the church, learning how the finances work, learning how the, this, the operation of the church works. See, I had, at that time, God didn't... He, he, he hadn't already said you're going to be a pastor. He just said this is what you're going to do. Then all of a sudden, one day, I don't know that I've ever heard his voice as evident as I did that day on Sunday morning. He said you are going to be a pastor. And that was the day that he started to work on her. Then about six months later, we got a call. You see, church, we have got to go on the defense. We've got to go on the offense. And then when we're tired and we're weary, we got to keep going. Because his strength is our strength. Stand with me. You're probably... Some of you are probably asking yourselves, what in the world is he doing preaching this kind of a message? How in the world is he going to do this altar call? I'm just going to do it the only way I know how. Number one, 